0: Thank you, Robin. Thank you all. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome to you all. Thank you for not using the Super Bowl excuse since that's at two o'clock and I should be done at least 10 minutes before that. So it's it's a beautiful thing to have chapter seven waiting for you this morning. In case you have not pre-read or looked at chapter seven, it includes uh, 67 verses of genealogy. So, then when we get to that part today, that should be really exciting because we all know that he begat, she begat, they begat, who and his and hers is just riveting. So, chances are, I'm probably not going to go over all 67 verses of genealogy with you. I will leave that for your small group. That should be a mind blowingly awesome small group session that you should have it will be a very small small group correct darling. that is why it's called the small group only those truly dedicated to genealogies and lists will be there but uh, first of all I wanted to thank you guys for last week it was a first time i got a chance to share with you guys the care ministry and it was fabulous to actually get connection cards with people volunteering so people volunteered both during the week and then throughout the week i got a couple more people volunteering so pastor bill who's also recovering is kind of able to make phone calls in his current state so Pastor Bill will be calling you guys and kind of putting that team together. And then once the uh, team's kind of all established who the visitors are going to be, um, who the grief share people are going to be, and uh, who the food ministry will be, we'll get all you guys in a room and let you all meet each other and kind of process it all. And then I will begin to uh, allocate the list of Bill of people that are actually waiting for visitation. I should also kind of make note to you that uh, an elder, uh, Pastor I'd say Pastor Rich and uh, and, uh, Dee have also kind of talked to me about maybe for some of them though on communion, that we might be able to actually have communion and have elders go do communion with them as well. So that's a real blessing to me in light of kind of the current situation with some people that are out there. So thank you all for volunteering with that. Additionally, you heard Grief Share is getting ready to do a session uh, Zoom. Um, I'll have a video on that and maybe I'm going to have Leslie up next week and we'll go into a little bit more detail. So it's just another expansion of kind of how God's blessing the church with ministry, and a lot of people are experiencing grief in a lot of different ways, and so we want to address that. One final thing at the end of the service, I'm going to try to get to the end of the service as proficiently as possible. We are going to be praying. The elders are going to be coming up, and we're going to be old school praying for uh, Tony Mangrello and Cheryl, if she's here. And I just want to let you know in advance, if you haven't been prayed for by the elders or had that kind of opportunity, Um, If you're just here this morning and as God uses this simple message If you're finding yourself overwhelmed by something if something just physically is kind of you have an ailment or something That is overwhelming you just because we're praying specifically for one or two people I would just tell you at the end of the service is probably going to be an opportunity For you to old school come forward and access all of us as we have the opportunity to pray for you corporately today So we've seen some pretty amazing things happen with that and so we're a church that believes in prayer and uh, as you find out today nehemiah is definitely a man that has come to value uh, in the significance of prayer. And in light of Nehemiah, in chapter 7 we're about to start, he actually finished chapter 6 with prayer, right? And the the idea was the wall is almost done at the end of chapter 6, and all he has to do is hang the gates. And yet these same guys that have been nitpicking, naysaying, and poking and prodding the whole time, like, they just can't let it go. And so he actually ends chapter 6 with kind of this prayer Saying, Lord, would you remember these guys? Would you remember these people that are kind of, kind of continuously going after me and help me to stay focused on what it is that you've put me into? Um, I don't know about you. If you like patterns, like I'm a guy who likes patterns and likes systems, I I think that God kind of showed me something this week. Matter of fact, I think it was probably Thursday night or Friday night, somewhere around two in the morning. I woke up and my wife said, "Where are you going?" I said, "I got to write something." So I just want to share with you kind of what I think Nehemiah is going to be showing us and what he has already shown us through seven chapters. Nehemiah has developed this pattern where every time something happens and plenty of things are happening, okay, from the initial call when he's all the way back as the king's cupbearer to, to going to be a construction guy, every time there's a situation, Nehemiah follows this. He, he prays first, right? How simple is that? He prays first. He prays and then he listens, a lot of us have come to the conclusion in our life that we think prayer is important and we might pray before we go to sleep or pray before we eat a meal or pray at a certain restaurant or pray at a friend's house or whatever we use prayer for. But Nehemiah is using this concept of praying the whole time, like he's eating breakfast, lunch and dinner and each one of those meals could kill him and then any snack in between, right? He's, he's constantly praying, but the idea of praying with listening I think is really important because not only does he listen, but as soon as he hears God's word, he obeys. He prays and he obeys. And I think just before we even start the message, like that's a little insight that God gave me because if you're praying without listening, then are you really praying, right? Is prayer a two-way street between you and God or is prayer just, Lord, I need, you know, Lord, I want, and Lord, I have an issue. Can you just reconcile that? That's a genie, right? You're just rubbing. Or is prayer like, Lord, this is what I'm going through, this is the situation I'm in. And like Nehemiah says, if you've put me in this situation, then you're responsible to get me through this situation. Right? Amen. That's powerful stuff. So he prays, he listens, he hears, and he obeys. And as soon as it comes clear to him, and I kind of think of it like this. Remember, Nehemiah's Old Testament, so he's praying a lot of Old Testament verses. Whenever he hears God's word, how do you hear God's words? I, I feel like I hear God's word through, through his word. He hears God's word. He hears it. And then he keeps it simple every time there's a problem every time there's a conundrum every time there's an obstacle every time there's a new opposition he keeps it simple and this is going to watch this pattern unfold today too because as long as you're trying to address multiple situations and multiple things you're going to do everything shallow and kind of narrow at the superficial level but if you can just pick one topic and just focus on that one topic and then ask the Lord, hey lord this is the thing that's kind of overwhelming me. This is the conundrum in life that I need help with. And then listen. And then when he says to you, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So we get New Testament stuff, which is helpful, right? There's no temptation come upon you that I have not provided a sunder or a way through, right? Then you can hear the word of God audibly or physically or however you hear it. And then you got to keep it simple. Okay, that's what I need to trust as I address this issue. And then the final thing, he, he prays and he obeys. He's very simple about how he addresses it. And finally, he's focused. He is laser focused on whatever that issue is, right? He's standing on the wall. The guys are trying to get him to come down. He realizes something every single time is I only have one call. And until God moves this call or changes the direction, and he does, right, from cupbearer to construction guy to chapter seven, it's going to change again. As a matter of fact, if we start chapter seven, I mean, we only have like five verses to actually tear apart this morning before he goes into the genealogy list. But in five verses, in the first two sentences, his role changes again. Because when the last gate is hung, there's no more construction that needs to be done. So that's why we titled the the sequence, From Rebuilding the Walls to Now He Has to Change to Restoring the People. It's a different role. It's a leadership role. But in the same idea of leadership, he's going to address it the same way. He's going to pray. He finished chapter 6 praying, right? Lord, address these guys. You know what the situation is. He's going to pray. He's going to hear. He's going to listen. He's going to obey. And he's going to keep it simple. Watch how every single issue that comes up, he settles on it. Okay, this is the issue. I need to deal with this. And then boom, he just deals with it. Super simple, super focused, super direct. And I don't know about you, but if there's something I could use a little bit more of in the world I live in right now is simplicity and direction. Amen. And we have made things so complex. We've made it to where For a lot of people, like, I've actually had people talk to me about prayer. It's weird to think that prayer is not kind of a universally understood thing. You know, why is it that prayer is such an awkward thing? Like, if you ask someone to pray in a public setting, a lot of people will say, I don't feel comfortable praying. And then I think about this, well, do you feel comfortable talking to the person that you love or your best friend? You know, if you think about someone in your life that you're really good friends with or comfortable with, how easy is it to talk to them? And what is the result of the more time you spend talking to that individual? the deeper your relationship grows, right? I don't have any problem talking with my wife. Matter of fact, we're after 38 years of marriage. A lot of times I don't have to say anything. She can just read body language, right? I mean, the more time you spend with someone, the more you understand. And that's how your prayer life should be. And I think that Nehemiah really developed his prayer life during the time that he was a cupbearer, because if your life is on the line, every single time you pick up something or eat something, there's a lot of dependency on that. And I think as Nehemiah kind of goes this, okay, I'm going to move from construction guy, which I didn't understand how to be a construction guy. And I don't know if you guys remember back in chapter three, the people he did construction with were not construction people, right? He, he He not only was not a contractor, but the people who built the wall were not construction people. They were the people who lived there. Matter of fact, one of them was like a goldsmith, right? I mean, he was just working with the people who live there. So he's already figured out how to make the most of kind of whatever God puts him into. And he's just going to have that same mindset. Okay, I have a new situation. I have a new scenario. The gates and the wall are now complete. Light switch on, light switch off, switch gears. I don't know if you're one of those people who wears a lot of hats in life, but I'm definitely one of those people who wears a lot of hats in life, and people ask why. Because God has a job to do. His job is to make his name known through jerusalem right it's a prophecy he's not just trying to build walls the goal wasn't just to build walls what the walls established was that the city was reborn right as long as the walls were down it wasn't a city and jesus or god could not make his name great through that city if it didn't exist so now that the walls are complete and the gates are up it's up to nehemiah so what is he going to do he's going to choose people the same way he chose to build the wall Do you recall when he was building the wall, other people wanted to jump in and help out? Do you you recall that from chapter five? And he said, no. Only people he wanted to build the wall were those first people, those first 50,000 people that went back. Why? He's selecting people that are not only going to do the job, but when it's done, are going to follow God. The only way God can be made great again in the city is to have people there who are dedicated to the cause. So that's what he's going to do. He's going back to this list. The list, by the way, that we have in chapter 7 is the same list that Ezra wrote in chapter 2 of Ezra. So if any of you are doing an Ezra study and you have the opportunity to get to chapter 2, the list should look very uh, similar to you. So Ezra was a a scribe and a a, a prophet. He wrote down that list from the very beginning. He thought it was worthwhile to know who those first 50,000 were. So those first 50,000 also kind of have a call on their lives, right? They said to the people living in Babylon, Although our life is pretty comfortable here in Babylon, this is not where we're from, right? We're from Jerusalem. We're from, we are Israelites, and we need to go home. And although we're living in captivity and we're living comfortably, that's not who we are. That's not what we need to do. So all those people that went home, Ezra made a list. That's where the list comes from. Ezra makes the list, and that list is going to become available to Nehemiah. And then he's going to go through the list, and then he's going to reassign and reallocate people throughout the city because it's still kind of vacant, There's not people living everywhere throughout the city. And as he does that, we're going to see some different things happen. Anytime I could find some old school Bible verses from the Old Testament, I was kind of plugging them in here. And I thought this was a good one from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds it, the builder labors in vain. Unless the Lord builds it, the laborer builds in vain. So Nehemiah has a really good concept of kind of like who God is and what he's actually doing to the point that no matter what the situation, remember, it's going to change today from construction to leadership. Like he has to restore the people. The people now have to be kind of reinstituted into what it means to be the nation of God, right? To be God's chosen people. And moving from construction man to leader is interesting because Nehemiah would tell you he's not situated to be the leader. Matter of fact, when we actually get to the passage of what he's situated to do, uh, I think you're going to find it quite interesting. All right, so you ready? Nehemiah is going to finish the gate. We got five verses to tear apart. I'm only going to read five verses, and then we're going to start. Here we go. And I actually brought glasses. I know. Thank you. Applause. Not necessary. Now when the wall, I can see. I can see. It's a miracle. Readers, one, once one level is amazing. Verse seven. Now the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and why are they why they are still standing guard? And then let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were still few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Verse 5, then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy, and those who came up from the first, I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of the exiles who Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own. Now, verse 7 kind of reminds us and lets us know that everyone is ultimately going to get restored to where they came from. Everyone. So the entire list will be reconciled and dealt with. How will he do it? He's going to pray, he's going to listen, he's going to hear, and then he's going to obey. Pray and he's going to obey. Once he does, he's going to keep it simple. Where did this person come from? Where in the hometown are they from? I mean, there's regions all throughout the area. Get them back into where they're from, plug them back into it, and then establish first and foremost that there's some things that are missing. And one of the first things that's missing is to, once the gate is hung and the temple is officially open for business, you have to reinstitute the temple, okay? He's addressing it physically. The wall is complete. I hung the doors. Now, my first issue that I have to deal with is spiritually. The temple needs to have people in it. And unlike any temple that we have today, the, the people that were in the temple back then are the Levites. They're not the people who wear Levites. They're the Levites. Okay? There's no Levites back there. Here's what's cool about the Levites. They were generationally temple keepers. Now this morning you were blessed to hear Robin and team worship team, Glenn, we have a lot of amazing Worship people. But imagine this the Levites were generational in their skill set. So everything they did in the temple, they did for generations. When I think about how beautiful it is to be in the house of the Lord and to see someone give their best, I always think about this this first act. How simple is this? It's like the temple is now getting ready to be open for business. The walls are now up, and the people of God are going to return. Remember, that's part of what it's about, so that the, the city would worship God again and follow God, right? And how do they do it? In their temple. He's not just putting anyone back in the temple. He's going to go find those original Levites that are in the people, assemble them, and put them back where they came from. Why? Because for generations, they were doing the same tasks. How good would someone be if you came out of a family whose sole purpose was the care of God's house? I think that's important, like, just in and of itself, because when you talk about giving our best to God, it's like... There's a reason why we give God our best. And if God has given you time and talents and abilities, I would encourage you, thank you for blessing us. Brad, thank you for blessing us with your drumming skills. Thank you, worship team, for blessing us because the first thing Nehemiah addresses here is I need to get the temple situated. I need to get those Levites in there. Additionally, I need to get those singers in there. You know, worship is one of those things where when we say worship today, we often associate work myopically, very narrow, and it comes right up here to worship. I don't think worship has ever been that narrow in God's word. I think of worship in the Bible more like an umbrella. It's the canopy that covers all that we do in ministry, right? And then every one of those little metal arms on the umbrella is a tie-in to ministry. When you read God's word, is that not worship? And 100% worship. When you serve, when you stand at the front door and greet people or hand out a bulletin, service, not worship, one hundred percent worship. When you tithe, when you anything you do under the auspice of saying thank you, God, for what's been given to you, right? That's worship, and it's all under that canopy. And yet, in this in this beautiful passage here, we realize not only you want to rebuild the temple and restore what was in it, but can you imagine how generational singers. I mean, we, we really are blessed to have beautiful singers, but I mean, I'm definitely one of those people that throughout the week, I can sit in my office and have a good day or have a bad day, and part of what I can dial myself in with is I can go p- pull some worship off the internet and just play worship, and just good quality worship, just me in my office singing at Mach 10 just restores my soul, and I just can't, I love this component about Nehemiah. It's like, see the problem, pray about it, listen for the answer, and then restore it as simple as possible. Stay focused on it. Get the right people and put them in place. Why? Because another problem that had happened is 70 years in captivity, they had begun to lose their ability to read Hebrew. They had learned, they kind of learned some new behaviors and kind of forgotten some old ways. And so they needed people to be restored that would help kind of bring them back. And by the way, the inability to read Hebrew and the proposition that only people from the temple could read Hebrew became a a, a source of a a sort, kind of a thorn for Israel for a long time. I think that's even available in some of the other religions today when I think about the dependency on other people to read God's word compared to your ability to read God's word at any time. In restoring the house of worship, he restored his prophecy that the Jews were constantly being told about, and that was to make the name of the Lord great again. Now, every victory that the Jews had been through should have done something for them. Now that the temple is open and now the right people are in place, one of the things that you think would naturally happen is they would flood back into the temple, right? Uh, By the way, speaking of flood, uh, coming out of uh, 9-11, flood. One of the greatest revivals the church had ever seen was coming out of 9-11. It wasn't just about patriotism. It was about people desiring to be closer to God. I remember reading some articles about New York having lines out of their church, lines of people waiting for every service that was available. Think about it now, what it's like two years later, right? Think about what Sundays are like now for you guys. Just think about the struggle this morning. I mean, I, I was jokingly with some people. It doesn't matter what happens on a Sunday. If any event happens on Sunday, our ability to want to be in the house of the Lord has definitely been diminished. But Nehemiah knew right here, from the very beginning, they should be back in the church. They should be closer to God, but yet they weren't. So no matter what they were going to do, he was going to restore everything the way that it should be and simply say this, Lord, once again, it's your house, it's your people, just like you did with the wall. You need to restore the temple. You need to restore your people. And part of that, I think, was last week when I asked you guys to reconsider something. I asked you last week to reconsider the idea that obstacles and opposition are a curse or a problem and instead consider it a blessing, an affirmation that what you're doing is actually kingdom building and because you are kingdom building, you're being attacked. And if you're not being attacked, if your life is kind of carefree and nonchalant, then maybe that's a repercussion of saying, I'm going to focus on doing some things of my own and, uh, and there's no reason to be attacked. So moving on to verse 2. He gives charge of the city. Okay? For Nehemiah, it wasn't about political glory. He didn't rebuild the city under the pretense to make himself something. Remember, part of the false accusation of chapter 5 was, The the guy Shechem said, you're doing this so that you could be king. Matter of fact, you've instored prophets who are saying, here comes the king of Judah. And he said, everything you said is like nonsense, right? That's not what I'm after. So what does he do? He looks around and he realizes that God has already put some people in place that are not only better situated, but better in tune. And the first person he addresses, which this is very interesting to address your brother, but Hanani. Remember, Hanani is the person that came to Nehemiah originally, right Nehemiah is in the he's in the he's with the king he's doing his job and there's an opportunity for people to come in and speak and Hannah and I stand in before the king and then he addresses his brother and he says brother if you knew what was going on in our hometown if you knew what was happening where our fathers are buried y- your mind would be destroyed because it's completely ruined and we need to we need to make consideration for that so because of that he he realizes his brother is not only in tune with the people but he's also aware of what's going on so he looks at his brother and he says okay you're going to be part of the leadership. And then he looks around and he says, who else has naturally been kind of inclinated towards this? And he sees Hanani. And he says to Hanani, okay, you also will be co-leader because you're faithful and you feared God more than many. Now I put in my notes there, Hanani is not a cop. He's He's not in any other kind of leadership other than he is known to be someone that loves God and fears God. Passage that came to mind, once again, Old Testament, Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, anytime someone says the fear of the Lord, remember, biblical fear is different than our fear. Biblical fear is reverential awe. It's kind of the positioning that you would uh, supplicate yourself. You would lay before God and realize, you know, who he is and what he can do. Our fear traditionally is more like, ah, like screaming and whatever, right? That's this is not biblical fear. Reverential awe is the realization who God is and what he can do. And so you're, you're humbling yourself and he's saying, this man's fear of the Lord is greater than any other man around us. And because of that, he would be a fabulous leader. How simple is that? Rather than trying to put yourself in and go through a process, Nehemiah just looks around, surveys the land, sees what God has given him, and then addresses it quickly. Right? say like we have stuff to take care of church we have stuff to deal with in our lives, and a lot of times we overcomplicate things by saying okay god what would you have me to do and he's already tapped you on the shoulder and said well i want you to join the visitation team i want you to stand out front and pass up i want you to join a small group right and we're like yeah but what small group they haven't put the you know the flyer out yet with all the new small groups it's like we we have a tendency to kind of overthink and overcomplicate things rather than just saying okay i need to do something what do i need to do i need to find a leader okay find a leader and go to him and say what needs to be done and if the first task is move chairs around or whatever we're like oh move chairs no that's big john's job i mean my back is so i'm not situated for that you know it's like no it's just like whatever god puts in front of us when you hear and you ask god to move and he speaks you need to respond and think of it like this Some of us are not that gifted, right? The reality is some of us aren't as gifted as other people. So we use that as kind of another excuse. Like, ooh, chairs? No, that's not my specialty. Oh, speaking? Mm, I'm not a public speaker. Writing? Oh, you couldn't read my writing. And pretty soon you've talked yourself out of every single task that was potentially available, right? So it's like, what can you do? You know what you say? I can do whatever needs to be done. And if I can't do it, then I'll find someone who can and I'll be that person who just goes and recruits someone that does it. By the way, Dylan, I love the fact that you're up here playing, you know, as a teenager in the adult worship band, because what that says to the church is, are you willing to do whatever needs to be done, right? We're not doing it to, to just do it. We're doing it, if you could think Le- 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 Levites, if we started thinking that, hey, I'm doing it because I'm doing it unto the Lord. Every time you move the chair in the church, you I'm not doing it because the church needs it, I'm doing it because I'm moving a chair for the Lord. I mean, there's ways that we can simplify things and keeping things simple rather than the complexities like, oh, I'm moving a chair. How lowly am I, right? It's like everything that we do in ministry, everything that Nehemiah did, he just, he took it for face value and saw that it needed to be done. And to this address, it was originally about a wall. And now as it moves on from a wall and it's gonna be about a people, he's taking that same kind of sincerity and same look at everything. All right, it needs to be done. Who can I put in there that will do a good job? Because if the Lord builds it, it's not going to be in vain. Listen, hear, obey, keep it simple, stay, stay focused. Trustworthy men are not dishonest men. Trustworthy men end up being, uh, Exodus eighteen twenty one says this, select capable men from God, men who fear God, trustworthy men who, are not, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as the officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. I love that. I love that the fact that God, what, um, what's important to God, what's significant to God is the heart, right? Overrate. Don't overrate your gifting. Your gifting is from God, but if your gifting is simply availability, then understand that God will use that mightily. By the way, I've seen people that are gifted, that are miserable, and I've seen people that have no gifting that are completely happy. So one's not predicated on the other. It's simply a matter of saying, if I'm available and I give what I have to the Lord, he can use it verse three. How about this? How about instructions on when to open? Okay. Why is that an issue? Because they've just reinstituted the city. It has a lot of gates, 12 of them, right? And if all the gates are open because the people are not kind of reestablished of where they're supposed to be and what they're doing, the city would then be susceptible to invasion or other issues, right? I don't know. I I don't even know if I would have built 12 gates if I was Nehemiah. I think I probably just put one in the beginning, one in the front, and one in the back, and then try to make that something more monitoring. But 12 gates is a lot to maintenance. And he says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. Don't open it until a certain time. Don't open it until the sun is at full scale. So maybe 12 o'clock, right? Why is that? Because everybody that comes in in full sun can be seen, Right? another biblical principle like when do people usually cause mischief at night right night is a great time to do mischief because you can't be seen this is simple stuff i don't know if you guys are the biggest fan of it i'm a big fan of simple in case you haven't caught that right if god wanted super complex people then i always felt like he would have recu- he would have recruited complex people but the people he recruited the disciples simple people i know that because they're fishermen like myself okay and by the way the reason why I catch fish and other people don't catch fish has nothing to do with luck. I, if I ever take you fishing, you say, oh, well, you got lucky today or, you know, what? It's like I, even with fishing, I have systems and methods just like Nehemiah. Everything that, that's done, I don't just throw things out there and wait, right? I, I, everything I'm doing is being done. a certain way. I throw it out here, and then every five minutes, I reel it two turns, which is six feet, which changes where it's at. And then every 10 minutes, I reel it another six feet. And and I fish all the way in, so I'm checking that whole area in front of me. Then I'll throw to the left, ten yards, ten minutes, six feet, ten minutes, six feet, ten minutes, six feet. And when I find fish, it's not because I'm lucky; it's because I've also changed the bait twenty or thirty times. Ask anyone who fishes with me. Rich, he throws it out and he waits, and then the fish just go right to his thing and he catches them. And Rich has supernatural fishing power. I don't have that power. (laughs) Eh? Do work keep it simple and stay focused. I'm telling you this principle that I got from Nehemiah this weekend, this is something you can run with. This is something you're going to be able to sit and digest this week. Think about when your next problem you have or problem you have right now, if you just refocus it under the pretense of, okay, I have a conundrum. I have an obstacle. I have an opposition. I need to put that in front of the Lord. I need to think about what Bible verse or what scripture or what kind of information I hear from the Lord. I need to digest that, act upon it, and then just keep it simple. And then stay absolutely focused about following through with that. Because remember, are you firemen, church? Did we learn anything from last week? Are we firemen or farmers? farmers? Okay, we throw seeds. As long as you're throwing seeds, go back to the parable of the sower and seeds. Something can happen, right? We throw seeds. Fire, windstorm, I, it's okay. God's going to handle all that. My job is to... Stay on the path that's lit in front of me. Well, you guys like that verse, um, your, your word is a light into my path? Like, what else can you see but the path that's in front of you? Sometimes you, you underestimate the value of even a simple scripture like that. Think about what that means. Go out the next time it's really dark and take a small lantern with you. Pray, Lord, do a simple example in my heart. Make the word of God come alive. And then walk down the trail and realize something. All you're going to walk in is the light, right? If you walk left or right of that light, it's unseen. And that's when you roll your ankle and, and your midnight walk. It's really stupid because you're like, why did you do that? As you stay in the light, you can see what the path is. If you have a path to follow, the light will guide you into that. As soon as you turn the light off and decide to walk, you can't blame God for twisting your ankle. And in the same way, we got to do the same thing. we got to trust God. we got to use his word as a light. So we have a problem. Okay, what's the problem? Who's going to guard these puppies. 12 gates is a lot, but do we even need people that guard the wall, right? We need maybe some people that are on rotation guarding the wall. Nehemiah says, absolutely. Matter of fact, Psalm 127, unless the Lord watches over the city and guards stand watch, it is in vain. Guess what that sounds a lot like? Unless the Lord builds it, it sounds amazing. It's the same verse. It's the continuation of Psalm 127. I love that Nehemiah has these things to fall back on. They're just Simple. Okay, the information's in front of us. Why are you making it so complex? Do you really need 20 people's opinion? If God has told you to do something, do you really need 20 people's opinion or two people's opinion? Try to get two people to have the same opinion, by the way. You want to ruin something that God has told you to do? Ask two people. They can be your friends, they can be your family, but it's really interesting just how diverse the opinion can be. I say, God said it, go do it. So what am I going to do? Okay, guard posts. Everywhere there's a gate, guard posts. When do you open it? High noon. When you shut it down? You shut it down early. So their time was six to six. So who knows? Shut it down at five o'clock. You shut it down before dark. Just keep it simple. What else do you want to do? Put guards on the wall, the patrol, right? Nehemiah is instituting all these things that are just things that have to be done. Why? Because you need security. We need security. And when he puts them on patrol, one of the things that he does is he puts them on patrol in the area that's in front of their house. So there's not a lot of people living there. So the people that are living there, the houses that are kind of selected, the houses that are nearest the wall, why would he do that? Why would God put you on patrol in the area that's in front of your house? Because that's what's important to you, right? You, You talk about not caring about what's five blocks away or 10 blocks away. It's simple. And here's something I've always kind of, Pastor Eric used to love to talk about this. It's like wherever you go to church, whatever you kind of do your ministry at, Keep it simple, like, go with, go with what's in front of you. We have people that drive from Anaheim Hills, your Belinda, Huntington Beach. I'm so grateful for everyone who drives from whatever distance you come to. But you know what? When you get home, be on guard for what's in front of you. Okay? And here's the reason why. Because what's in front of you is God-given, is God-placed. And a concept of your oikos, if you haven't ever learned this, is God is responsible for supernaturally putting you into a sphere of influence. You're not. He is. And so whatever God has placed you into, you should be aware of and alert for. So with me, my neighbors across the street, my neighbors to the right, my neighbor, I'm constantly on the lookout for them. I'm constantly trying to stop and have conversation with them and engage them. Why? Because like my family, like my church family, the people that God has supernaturally placed in my life, I need to be on patrol for them. What's hard for me is when I'm on patrol for the police department and I realize that I get put into all these other situations that I want to help. I supersede my, I usurp the authority, Is a better way of saying it, I usurp the authority that God's saying, hey, these people need help and then I sometimes I want to go out there and try to help them and then I want to go out there and try to help this person and I realize I can't. But one thing I can do is I can pray for them. And rather than minimizing that, I realize the value of that. God, bring the people in their sphere of influence. Bring the, bring the people that are in their kind of patrol zone. Bring, bring those people to that light. Bring them into a conversation. Why? So the city can be safe. It's an important part of who we are and what we need. You guys need safety. I need safety. Which leads to verse four. Okay, houses haven't been rebuilt. We're vulnerable for invasion. So the city needs to kind of get its way back. And so what are we going to do? He's going to go and look at what's available to him. Okay, I've got the patrol set up. I've got the gate set up. I've got some times in place of so when they can do ministry. Now I've got, the, I, I got people. I've got people kind of everywhere. I need to get people in the right places. Okay, that's overwhelming. I've never put anyone in their place. I have no idea what to do. Lord, what's available? Right? Lord, what's available? You see the conundrum. You see the issue I have. These people all need to be somewhere. How am I going to know where to put them? Oh, Ezra made a list? Not just a list. I mean, when you get a chance to read that, look at the details of Ezra's list. He made a detail by the numbers of all 50,000 people that came back. Well, here's what I can do then, Lord, is I can put them back into the area they came from. So, I mean, we're not really like this anymore, but I mean, realistically, even in Orange County, we have Orange County, Riverside County, San Bernardino, and we have different areas. He knew where these people were from, generationally, where these families were from, and he's putting them back into the places where they're from because this is what they've known, right? This is what they've known, and this is what they've cared about, and genealogy just is a, quite a bit different. I don't really think we're people nowadays that genealogy means much, but back to them, genealogy meant a lot, right? They, they knew that from the tribe of Judah that the Lord was going to come, And so if you're a big genealogy person and you're kind of curious about some of that stuff, look at some of the genealogies that are available that Ezra made note of. And the one thing that just kept coming back to me is these first 50,000 people answered a call just like Nehemiah did. And that was to leave the comfort of Babylon. And I can't help but think about asking you as a church, it's like, God's calling you to go somewhere and God's calling you to do something. What comforts are you gonna have to leave to go do that? Right? I mean, when Don and Jill were going to this church, and Don had a business cleaning boats. Um, and they had a, you know, a good, good, really good life. Joe was doing really well here. And then all of a sudden they go to Costa Rica and God taps him on the shoulder. And he says, here. And he's like, whoa, I'm already at Costa Mesa. Costa Rica is just like, Lord, that's, I think that the alphabet's a little adjusted there. That's a long ways away. I mean, the lifestyle, the people, the commodity, you know, accommodations, it's a lot to give up. And yet when you think about the ministry that Don and Jill are actually living in, I don't know if you guys still talk to them. If you had, you should. Because one of the things I can tell you is every time I talk to Don now, there's a sense of euphoria and like excitement about what he gets to do every day and how he gets to see ministry every day. I don't know. God puts it in, this, God puts it in your heart to go somewhere and do something. Don't, don't overwhelm yourself with the barriers to leave. Trust God, okay? Go where he leads Pray, obey, keep it simple, stay focused. All right, final verse here, five, and then we're done. So then what else can he do? Who's left that he can now address? Remember, he's addressing each problem one at a time. He's kind of moving down the clock face. Okay, now I need to assemble the nobles and the officials, the people that financially and physically kind of run the city and have been in the past important. Now we need to reestablish who's who and what they're gonna do, and I'm gonna bring them all in together, and I'm gonna sit them all down, and I'm gonna explain to them this is what you need to do, and this is why you need to do it. I need you to be the people that God has asked you to be. And what the list is ultimately going to show them is what was specific about each person and what was important about each person. Each person had a very unique and specific task. If you read the list, you'll see how unique and specific the tasks were, because what their job was is what he wanted to get them back to it. Now I've often said you're not what you do, right? And as a Christian, we're not what our job is. Not what we is not what we do. It's who we are. But in the same sense, if you could do the job that God has built you to do, then that's the job you're going to be really successful at, right? I get to be a shepherd to people. I get to be relational with people. I get to be someone who cares for people. That's my wheelhouse. That's that's what God wired me to do. So in that sense, it helps me to do something and do it well and enjoy what I'm doing. And what Nehemiah is seeing here is okay, what were some of their skill sets and where were they at? How can I get them back to do it? Because what they did before, if they did it well, I want to restore them to them. Just like the Levites getting back to the temple or the singers getting back to singing. And where they came from, and once he got them in place, was going to give him a place of worship that said, okay, look, city, okay, community, okay, Israel, we are now back restored from being in captive. We are now not only restored but we are restored in the actual city that was once destroyed. God has given us the privilege. Even our enemies now shake. Remember the last part of six was his enemies realized that it was an act of God to complete the wall in such a time, 52 days. We have left Babylon, we are here and you and me, this first 50,000, we now have two million of our brothers and sisters that are left behind. Let's be prepared for the fact that God is now gonna call them home one day. Let's do something to prepare ourselves. What they ended up ultimately doing was going through the same kind of idea, the same system. Just as Jerusalem was rebuilt by God, each individual had to be rebuilt by God. Each individual had to be restored. Now, Nehemiah begins it, and then he puts people in place to kind of see it through. So that's another good kind of pickup for us to hear. It's like, God's putting people in your life that hopefully will help build and restore you. Hopefully I can be one of those people. Hopefully our elders or the people in your small groups, whatever people you're kind of confiding in, you can have people that can build and restore in you, but we all need rebuilding, right? The old gray Mary ain't what she used to be. I've often thought that you no know, one with my glasses is like, okay, with each year that passes, something else kind of breaks down, right? And is that God's mercy? What is that in God's life? And I, th- I think more than anything, it's dependency, like my wife says, just wear your glasses. You know, it's okay. Everyone else wears glasses. It's like, ugh, it's like I'm giving in to you know, breaking down. You know what, church? There's, all of us are breaking down. Just like the wall broke down, we're all breaking down. Matter of fact, if there's anything we have guaranteed is that one day it will break all the way down, right? Only two people have beat the system. And I still believe those two people are going to be asked to come back and finish the system one day. But that's a, another message for another time. But the reality is we're all breaking down. So in the meantime, while we're breaking down, what can we do today? And I'm going to add one kind of component for this. Pray, listen, hear, obey, keep it simple, and stay focused. The last thing I want to tell you, what should you stay focused on? And I'm going to say this, stay focused on what's in front of you. Stay focused on what's in front of you. Why? Because in in the world we have today, we've been given this incredible view uh, we did uh, Disneyland, we got our things back, got a chance to go do Disneyland, and we did Soarin', one of the rides we really like is Soaring, and you, and you get to sit in a seat and feel like you're flying all over the world, right? And you get to see all these different things, it's like, you can distract yourself with so many amazing things, and your mind can be overwhelmed, but the, they have different smells, right, where you're going over grass, and then flowers, and all that, you can just overwhelm yourself, and you feel so euphoric, and then you get off it, and you're, next thing you know, you're coming up a tunnel with like 7,000 people, And it's like back into the rat race of being a little lemming you know paid 150 bucks to go ride soaring for two minutes right (laughs) which makes me happy because i have a disney Disney shirt on no i need to stay focused and realize you know what who at disneyland is god putting me there for what conversations while i'm sitting next to someone on a random ride or walking through the park? it's like it's weird how if you just stay focused on what's in front of you god can not only use you but you can just start to see things differently I really want to just thank God for this uh, time in Nehemiah. I, I've taught Nehemiah all the way through two other times before this time in my life. And I have learned more things and I've seen more things clearly from this passage than ever before. And I think that's an, a testament to you guys that you just trust God. Keep it simple. Let's, let's move away from some of the complexities. Who's someone in your neighborhood? Who's someone in your, in your work? Who's someone in your family member that's really struggling? And how can you kind of just show up for them today? Because building a wall is going to come to an end, right? At some point, the simple task of whatever you were originally set forth on is going to come to an end, and you're going to have to transition to something else. Are you fighting it? Are you trying to remain in construction your whole life because that's what you learned? Or like Nehemiah, you're just simply saying, okay, God, if you want this done, then you're responsible to help me get it done. So I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to ask about it. I'm going to write down a list, and then I'm going to hear from you, and I'm going to respond appropriately to it. That is all that I have for today, and we are going to pray. And we are going to ask uh, the elders to come forward, and we are going to have a moment of old school prayer. For those of you who like this kind of stuff, this is as old school as it gets. We are as good as we pray. Glenn, you guys can come up, the band. Uh, Tony, you want to come up? Cheryl, you want to come up? Um, I'm asking two people in particular because these two people have some health issues that are above and beyond. But we are not uh, and opposed to anyone who's in this building right now that has a spiritual issue, a physical issue or something and that you want prayer for. If you would like prayer for something, you feel free to come on forward and myself and the elders will also pray for you. Come on up. You know, let's go down. Can we go down? We'll come down to them. Tony, can you just go right here in the middle? Cheryl, can you come right here after Tony? Cheryl has uh, some serious shoulder stuff. Tony has a, a myriad and a multitude of things, but I'm going to get you guys in front of them here. I'm going to go on to that Rich here, Rich. I'm going to give you this some oil. You can just put that on each one of their heads. You would join in with us as we join to pray specifically for these two people. If you guys have any issues like I said, please join with us right now. Father God, we lift Tony and we lift Cheryl up to you. We lift our brothers and sisters whose bodies are going through some infirmities. And we know, Father, that you say stand before us with your broken. And lift them up to you. Have the elders pray, anoint their heads. And Father, we still believe and we hold fast to this belief that the prayer of a, of a person who trusts God availeth much. And we believe, Father, that you can hold the rain and you can move the mountains. And spiritually speaking, Father, we simply say these are two bodies right now that are struggling to function in a way that you once designed them to do that. And we pray on behalf of those people that will be performing tasks. We thank you for those that have dedicated their lives to performing these tasks of performing seizures that are just amazing things that they can do, Father. But we pray for the resolve and the spirit of each one of these. Tony, Father, in the name of Jesus, if it's possible to let any of these infirmities or all of them pass, then we simply ask. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. So we ask for my sister Cheryl, Father, for her shoulder and for all the different things that are happening within that. Father, in the name of Jesus, if there's something miraculous that you want to do for her like you did for brother bill father would you just because you can and it brings glory to your son jesus would you just heal father there's people in this building right now that we are aware of that are going through cancer that are dealing with mental health that are dealing with spiritual oppression father in the name of jesus would you simply touch and address each and every person in this building that desires to have you and your spirit touch them would you, because it brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus and your son, Father, would you show mercy upon them that makes no sense to the world? But it allows us, Father, to stand before you and simply say, here we are, jars of clay, finding us and using us whatever you can. We're available. Send us. We love you. Father, once again, on behalf of everyone that's in this building and everyone that's even watching, if there is someone who doesn't know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that he put his life on the cross willingly, because no greater love is this to lay down your life for a friend, Father, than today would be the day of reckoning. Today would be the day they invite Jesus into their life. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you with everything that we have and everything we say. We do it all in the precious name, your son Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.
1: a salvation that cannot be moved he's proven himself to be faithful They cannot be moved. He's proven himself too.
0: robin if you have any questions if you need prayer if anything's going on and didn't get answered today uh, we'll be here afterwards i'll be up here please come forward if you have any prayer requests or any way you'd like to connect with the church you can drop that in the connection boxes in the back thank you guys for coming enjoy the rest of your week and god bless and we'll see you next week